Lord, I just pray today, just um, let our hearts, our minds, our ears be open, and just thank you for just letting us come together and worship your name. Lord, we just uh, give me words to speak, Lord. I just thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So I, I heard um, Aiden joined Modern Technology last week and, and gave up his, his sheets of paper and joined the, the, the mobile age. So it's good to see. I heard he did a great job. I want to start today by just reading out of Psalms 10, the first 11 verses. It says, O Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others. For they brag about their evil desires. They praise the greedy and curse the Lord. The wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead, yet they succeed in everything they do. They do not see your punishment awaiting them. They sneer at all your enemies. They think nothing bad will ever happen to us. We will be free of trouble forever. Their mouths are full of cursing, lies, and threats. Trouble and evil are on the tips of their tongues. They lurk in ambush in the villages, waiting to murder innocent people. They are always searching for helpless victims, like lions crouching in hiding. They wait to pounce on the helpless. Like hunters, they capture the helpless and drag them away in nets. Their, help, their helpless victims are crushed. They fall beneath the strength of the wicked. The wicked think, God isn't watching us. He has closed his eyes and won't even see what, they, what we do. Now, this past week, I went to, went to SoCal. And so I was down there in California, and you would think that maybe that's what I just read about, was a life in a, in a country, just a description of maybe what it's like to, to just not have God around to not have God in the picture, that God doesn't really care what, what we do, that God isn't really even just watching. And if he is watching, it doesn't matter. And no, Southern California wasn't that bad. But there were a lot of things that I did see there that I don't, you don't see this every day in Billings, Montana. So this, this idea of this godlessness of, of a world without a God, and it, I, trust me, it really wasn't that bad. But gas prices, I will tell you, it is that bad. <laughs> there, I did see $9.99 or something on a, on a thing for gas. So yes, it really does exist. But this week, I received a letter from somebody. Um, I can't say who, I can't say where, I can't say any information just because of where they live and because of what's going on in the world and the situation that they're in. But they're living in a world where maybe this world without a God or where is God kind of exists. Of they, they, they're running out of money. They have money, but they can't get money. They have to go places, but they can't go places because you can't travel. You can't, they're just kind of stuck in, a, in this current situation that they're living in with just really like, just kind of like this world that, that, David says in the Psalms of just, there's just a lot of evil in the world, a lot of just, where is God in this? Where is God? And that's what David writes this Psalm. I think he gives us, he writes this Psalm, he's giving a description of a world without God, what that would look like. When it says in the verse is, if God were, if God was dead, 
God wasn't in the picture. In verse 11, it tells us, it says, it, 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 God isn't watching, and he won't even see what we're doing. Living in a world like that. And I think this, we're going to look at a little bit of Ezekiel today. And that is the world, I think, that we see in this book of Ezekiel. Is that in, that, in this book, at certain points, the one part of it is God's just said, I've had enough with you people. Like, I am just, I'm out. I'm done. And we live in a world that, that's it's different than the nation of Israel. Like, think of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel actually saw the presence of God. When they were led out of Egypt, like, they saw God in a pillar, a fire, a cloud of smoke. Like, they saw God's presence. And then when they built the tabernacle and were built, wandering around in the wilderness, and they had tents, like, the presence of God was there. And then when they built the temple in Jerusalem in the Holy of Holies, that was where God's presence was. So they were able to see God's presence. We don't, we're not able to see that. But then in Ezekiel chapters 10 and 11, this is what we see. We see, and I'm not going to read all that, but we see God says he's, he's vacated the building. He's, he's out. I'm gone. You Israelites, I'm going to leave you guys on your own. I can't... You won't listen to me. I can't, I, can't, I can't be part of this anymore. And so then what happens is the Babylonians come along. They conquer Jerusalem. And then they ter- this is what the Babylonians did, is they would take the people that lived in that area and then, and then take them back to Babylon, take them as exiles. So now the, the majority of people in Jerusalem are living in Babylon. And Babylon, if you don't know it, is even to this day, Babylon is, is really a symbol of wickedness. So when you read something about Babylon, like you're, you think of like, it's not good. If you're compared to Babylon, that's not a good thing. So we see throughout history, I think too, that, that there's these empires that rise up, like Babylon rose up. We see the Greek empire rise up. We see the Roman empire rise up. And these empires are a lot of an empire without God. They don't have at least the God that we know, this God that we've been talking about for the last several weeks, Yahweh, the one and true God. They don't have this God. And if they don't have a God, they might have multiple gods. Like they have many gods, small g gods. And, and for the instance, like the Greeks and the Romans, they did. They worshiped many, many gods. And they even had, Romans had a, statue for an unnamed god because they didn't even know all the names of the, their supposed gods. And they also didn't have a lot of morality. It's probably like a place that we see in Romans 1. Paul gives us a description of, of what happens when we don't have God in our world, God in our lives. So just listen to Romans 1. We're going to look at 18 through 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, 
and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, and for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They were taking God out of their lives. They're putting God, trying to live in a world without God. So God's like in Exodus said, or Ezekiel said, I've had enough. So this is what it says. It goes on. It says, they exchanged the truth. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do them, these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. If you didn't quite grasp what David was saying in the psalm, I think what Paul just gave us in the description is what a world without God would look like. Paul is opening Romans describing what it is. What, that, what, what, what would it be like if God was just not part of our picture? If God didn't exist? There's, there's headlines. Things that these, are, these are things I just looked at in the last two weeks. Just headlines. And I left a lot of them out because some of them I just don't even want to repeat. But things like pizza shop owner killed partner and hid his body for weeks. Missing teen's body found in Nevada. Articles claiming Chris Pakman, whoever that is, misled public about donating. His U.S. mother of four killed 20, among four, of four among 20 killed in Mexico mass shooting. Santa Maria man pleads guilty to sex abuse, child pornography charges. These are all headlines that I've read of what's happening in the world that we live in, in the country that we live in. Headlines that I, that I looked at that I think really this last part of Romans 1, verse 29 through 32 that I read, it, a lot of the headlines that we read look just like this. this just so you can see this, so be on the, the screen. So let's look at 29 through 31 again. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Those empires I mentioned, the Romans, Romans and the Greeks. A lot like those empires. A lot of that's description. In fact, that's what Paul's describing is the Roman Empire. It just seemed like the God, that Yahweh was not in their lives. It sounds like there's a few empires that we can maybe think of in modern times that are also maybe like that. I think even in the United States, we see that in our lives. We see some of that in our lives. We see this turning over to our depraved minds. Now this, this is, today, is not, we're not going to be bashing countries. We're not going to be bashing the United States. That's not what this is about. 
But what I'm wondering is, is that what is God thinking? When God looks at this world that we live in, what is God thinking about this mess? Because I think we'd be dishonest if we, there, we live in somewhat of a mess. There's a lot of things going on in this world that I think God's scratching his head going, this isn't what I had planned for you. Now, I'm, I met a friend of mine a few weeks ago, just to point an example of this. He told me this story about how he's raising his granddaughter, who is now essentially his daughter. And he told me how his daughters, who he actually, these are daughters that he adopted that were just troubled kids, how his daughter had this child and she was caught up in drugs and alcohol, just a messed up life. And she had this daughter, and when she was an infant or a toddler, she didn't really specify age or for how long, but she would just go out, go on a binge, go do whatever it was that she was going to do, leave this child at home for hours, if not days, by herself. Nobody to take care of her. Just in the way he describes like this is a child that can't feed herself and is in diapers. Just leave her. So he's saying like this, this girl is physically and emotionally underdeveloped because of this situation. And so I, I have to look at that and I say, I think God's got to look at that and go, what is going on here? What is this all about? How could this happen? And I, this isn't an isolated story. Like, I, I know other stories of this same situation, of same things like this, and I'm sure you guys do, too. And it makes us wonder, is maybe has God left the building like he did in Ezekiel? Or how Paul tells us that, that God's just said, I'm going to leave you guys to your depraved minds so that, you can, so that we do what we ought not to be done. Maybe we're wondering, some of these things that we know, we see in life, like we're wondering, where is God? Isn't that a question when we hear those stories that we could ask? Like, God, where are you in that situation? God, where are you? Now, the Israelites probably, when they were being carried off to Babylon, they probably found themselves asking that same question, going, God, where are you? Where are you in this? If you lived in World War II, and you were especially Jewish, Probably ask that question, God, where are you in this? This, where are you? If you lived in Afghanistan, you lived in Ukraine, you lived in many countries that are just, you're just wondering, God, where are you in this? Where, what is happening? Many of us today are asking that same question. Maybe we're asking that question, some of us, not all of us, but some of us maybe. A few weeks ago, we had a, had a, service where at the end we had a healing service where we had people come up and, and receive prayer and 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 I was up here praying for people and many of you came up and shared your stories with me asking what you need prayer for some of those things are things that you might question too like going God where are you and this was what brings us to the next name of God this next name we're going to look at and actually it's more of a name of a city but that's technically what it is. But this is a name that's so closely associated with God's presence and God's power that it's equated with the name of God. And this name is Yahweh Shama, the Lord who is there. And we see these words in the very last words of this, this book of Ezekiel. Start, it's in 48.35. It says, And the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord is there. 
So this is Yahweh saying, this is God saying that I'm going to have this eternal presence in the city. I'm going to be here all the time. I'm going to be here. And I'm not just going to be in the temple. I'm not just going to be in this one specific place. Yahweh is there. He's always there. These are the words that are given to Ezekiel, but we also need to look at some words that were given in, in chapter 37. And look at some words that Yahweh gave to, gave to Ezekiel to say to Israel that when they were in, ba- in exile in Babylon, when they were probably asked that question, God, where are you? Why are we here? Where, where are you, God? So this is what it says in verse 30, in 37:21. And say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nation where they have gone. I will bring them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and their vile images or with any of their offenses. For I will save them from all their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David will be will king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and might be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I give them to my servant Jacob, a land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever, and David, my servant, will be your prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. God's telling the people of Israel, like, I'm I'm here. Here I am. And I'm going to always be with you forever because God is there. So where is God? It's a question we have. Where is God? Well, God is there. God is there. We see in Ezekiel that God is giving this reassurance that God is placing his internal resonance with the people. And he's never going to depart from them again. Now, I mentioned earlier that the Israelites felt God's presence in this holy of holies of the temples, that that's where God's presence was, that only the high priest could go in there. Not everybody could go in there. Now as God is saying that I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell amongst the people. I'm going to dwell amongst all of you. He's always going to be present. Saying in this city, the Lord is there. And that hasn't changed. Because God is there. God's out there in the lobby. God's out there. God's over here in the corner. God's there. He's there. God is everywhere. God's going to be in your car when you go home today. God's going to be there even when you think that, that he's not there. God's not going to be like what we read about in Psalm 1011. God is watching. God is there. God hasn't closed his eyes on you. He still sees. We looked at it. We talked about a God that sees. This, this God is my provider. It's Yahweh Jireh. We looked at that, which really is God sees. God sees what you're in. God sees what's happening. Because God is there. In fact, God is there, and God even sent his son, Jesus, to dwell among us, to show that he is here, to be, be here. Let's look at John 1, 14. So the word became human 
and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And we know who that is, right? We know who this Son is. We know who that is. That's Jesus. Jesus' Son that's full of, full of unfailing love, full of faithfulness. The Jesus who made his home among us. The Jesus that is there. In fact, in the last words of Matthew, after Jesus said, go make disciples, this is what he says. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Because Jesus is there. Jesus is here. God is there. God is here always. And I know sometimes it doesn't seem like it. I know sometimes things happen. Like some things that, God, where are you? Like the morning of September 11th, 2001. I know that's been a while, but where was God then? I'm going to tell you a story about that morning. A story about a woman named Janelle. Janelle's the last survivor of the day, that day. Last survivor that, that was pulled out of the rubble. It happened that day. Janelle worked in the last building to fall. She worked in the north building. And she arrived at work that morning, went up to her office, which was on the 64th floor, just rode the elevator, just expecting the same normal day. Plane crashes into the first building, and she stays in that second building. She doesn't know what's going on, but she doesn't know what to do. So she stays there, and she doesn't actually leave until that second plane crashes into the building. So she, at that point, she leaves. She's trying to race down these stairs. And so she's racing down the stairs, and she gets to the 13th floor. And at the 13th floor, I don't know why she didn't do this earlier, but the 13th floor, she decides it would be a good time to take off your high heels because she was trying to run downstairs in high heels. But as she did this, all of a sudden, 110 floors started falling down around her. The building was collapsing. Well, obviously, she's trapped in the rubble. She's unconscious. And then when she comes through, she wakes up, and, and these are the words that she says. She says, God... You've got to help me. And she prayed. You've got to show me a sign. Show me a miracle. Give me a second chance. Please save my life. And she described that she felt God was right there with her. She said God was there. She told God she was ready to live her life the right way. So I'm assuming by her saying that, she was living that life in Romans. She was living that life of that depraved mind the world without a God. And she said, Lord, just give me a second chance and I promise I will do, do your will. So the next day, so she's been here 24 hours. The next day she hears, you know, that beep, beep of a car backing, of a truck backing up. She hears that. And she yells as best she could. Think of all the dust and how dry her mouth would have been. But she still yells as best she can. And the thing is, then somebody hears her. Somebody hears her and yells, hello, is someone there? And then Janelle yells back and she, somehow she's able to stretch her arm out of this rubble and stretch her arm out. And the next thing she knows, someone grabs her arm. And he says, my name is Paul. And I'm going to hold your hand and I'm not going to let go until you're safe, until you're out. Janelle's eventually freed. She's severely injured. Spends a long time in the hospital recovering. And then she, she, when she's kind of got everything a little together. She asks, she asks, like, I want to talk to someone named Paul. I want to thank him. 
So she starts asking around, they're like, there's nobody named Paul here. Then she talks to the, the people around that rescue, rescue crew that day, and they're saying, there's no Paul on our team. There's no Paul. So who is Paul? I, we don't know. Now, like 15, 20 years later, there was someone that came forward and said they were Paul and said they were different. Like, I don't know. The guy might have been just wanted to place. I don't, I don't have any idea who, this, who it was, if it was him or not. But regardless, Janelle prayed to God, and he was there. Just like God told Ezekiel, God is going to be there in that city. Now, the crazy part is, of this whole story is, is that Janelle's entire life, she ignored God. She ignored God. She lived in a world without God. Living without God. The thing is, is that even though she was living that way, God was there. God was there the whole time. God was there to answer her when she called out to him. Now, going through this traumatic event, someone would think that, that like Janelle would experience, like have some trauma from this. That she would have PTSD or something like that. So they had her evaluated by a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist found nothing. Like they're like, how could you, like you went through all this ordeal and there's, you're perfectly fine. Janelle said, you know what, God's my psychiatrist. And, and then Janelle said these words about that. She goes, after all, God was there when I needed him. He had made sure I was found. He had comforted me and given me a new life. Janelle discovered the saving power of this Yahweh Shama, the God that's there. So let me ask you this question. Where are you with God? Because maybe that's the question we need to ask. Because we know God is here. We know that God is there, that God is everywhere. I know I sound a lot like a Dr. Seuss book, like Green Eggs and Ham. When Sam I Am goes around and asks, well, do you like green eggs and ham? Do you like them here? Do you like them there? Do you like them everywhere? And then finally the guy tries them and he realizes, I like green eggs and ham and he likes them everywhere. So once we decide to turn away from this world that we're trying to live in without a God, for those of us that have done that, we realize that God was there the entire time. And God is here and there and everywhere. And I like God here, there, and everywhere. God was there even when I was a dumb teenager and I came flying over this hill at 120 miles an hour in my car and there was red taillights right there. And somehow that car stopped. I don't have any idea. I, to this day, say, because God was there. God was there when I was living this life with God just saying, live your life of your depraved mind. Living a life without God in it. That God is this God that loves us like a shepherd. Loves his sheep. The shepherd keeping his eyes on us. Watching us. Waiting us for us. And when we realize that we need the shepherd, that we need God in our lives, that we need God in our lives everywhere, which he is, because he is the God that's there. He's there. He answers that. For those of you that haven't decided that, that you even like God, hopefully love God, love Jesus, and you just want to continue to live 
that life that's described in Romans, giving into your depraved mind, that's okay, I suppose. That's okay. Because God is still there, just like what you know. God is still there waiting for you. But I do need to tell you something, if that's where you want to stay. I do need to tell you this, because it ends poorly for you. It wouldn't be fair if I didn't tell you. A little bit further down in Romans, we see what, we see what, what that means. Romans 2, 5 through 8. Let's look at that. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immorality, he will give eternal life. Those that... I've foreseen God, like Janelle, got that second chance, got life. But now those that want to stay there, this is what it says. It says, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. I don't want that. Told you it didn't end well. Now for that night on that day, September 11th for Janelle, like I said, that ended well for her. She's given that second chance. you don't know where you are with God, perhaps you might want to think about it and answer that question carefully. Because the thing is, is God is there. Yahweh Shama. God is there. God is here right now. So the question is, where are you? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for just your words of knowing that you're a God that is there. You're here with us every minute of the day. You are here all the time. You're not a God that deserts us. You're not a God that closes his eyes on us. You're not a guy that just leaves us to, our, to ourselves, Lord. You're a God that's just waiting for us to, to, to call out to you. That you sent your son here to, be, to live among us. A son here that, that conquered death that conquered sin, that gave his life for us so that we can have life. A God that is there. Your son is here. Your son paid that price for us. Just thank you. And if there is somebody in the room right now that you're, you've been living that life of your depraved mind, you've been living that life that, that Paul talks about in Romans, that life of, of just God without a world without a God. Maybe you're like Janelle right now and you want to raise a stick up your hand and you want to say, God, I'm here. Cry out to God. You want that second chance. You want that life that, that Janelle got. That you want that life that Jesus gives us. That life that Jesus gave us by paying for it, for it, for it on the cross. If that's you, if you want to just raise up your hand and look at me and say, say just, just raise your hand and say, yes, I'm, I want that new life. God, here I am. Lord, just thank you. Lord, just thank you that you are a God that's there. In your name we pray. Amen.